0: Good morning, we're going to do the book of Philemon today. If it's, uh, if you're new, if it's your first time with us, welcome. We do, we're, right now we're doing a book of the Bible every single week, a new book. And today, we're like on this really short book. It's the shortest book in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. It's a letter. It's an email. It, 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 it's, I, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's a, it's a personal letter to an individual, I mean, like an email. And Paul was a writer. He wrote a lot. He sent a lot of letters. I mean, we just have probably a fraction of what he wrote. And for some reason, the guys, maybe there were some girl girls in there, who knows. But for some reason, the guys got together and they decided, because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they, they decided that this one needs to go into the book. This one is holy. This one is um, special. Could you imagine if one of your emails was considered Holy Scripture? Oh. That's scary. Yeah, but that's what we're looking at today. Uh, Philemon lived in the city of Colossae. And uh, Easter, we're not deviating from the schedule on, on Easter Sunday, by the way. Mako and I are going to co-teach the, the book of Colossians. So... I know, it's going to be a lot of fun, so it's not going to, I know, there's a, we will have Easter eggs and bunnies, and I don't know if we're going to have bunnies, but it will be Easter feeling, we will have an Easter feel to it, and, but we're just going to go along with what we usually do, i and just kind of going against the grain here. Uh, ironically, Colossians has a lot to do with Jesus, it has a lot to do with the death and the resurrection and the ascension of, of Jesus. It's funny how God works that way, but it is the Easter message, is the book of Colossians. So we're excited to do it, and Michael and I are going to do it together. So Philemon was a citizen of Colossae. Of he was a church leader, and he was a rich dude. Or he had money. You ever feel like... Uh, in our current culture and our climate, the things are just complicated, specifically in the social issues and the political issues and the family issues on how we ought to live life. And it just gets downright complicated. Yeah. Usually, when I'm talking to somebody or counseling somebody, you know, how's, uh, how's, how's the marriage? And what's the answer? It, it's complicated. How's the new boyfriend? How's the new girlfriend? It's complicated. How did you hold up over Thanksgiving weekend with the, with, with the relatives that are on the other side of the political fence than you? How did that go? Oh, it's complicated. How many people can relate to having difficult situations inside of family members or close friends like you had a great relationship with them, but for some reason, politics screwed it up? Or is it just me? <laughs> All right, I got to thank you, Anthony. Gosh, to witness, I yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yes, it is. We have to. The, the The hard reality is, is that not only is our nation divided over social issues, the Christian community is divided. I don't know about you, but like I'd say, half of my friends are now divided. At least half of my Facebook friends. I guess those don't count as real friends, though, do they? They do. John says they do. I, don't, I think that they're virtual friends. They're not real friends. I know. Interesting. All right. See the millennial, the millennial mindset. They're real. All right. Um, but you see where I'm going at, right? Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, I've, I've prayed this prayer over issues that seem to, to be going into the gray areas. Like, we just don't know what the right answer is. And it was like, Jesus... I just wish you were here so you could tell me what is right and what is wrong. You ever had that situation? Yeah. And we think in our minds that it was easier in the early church. That they didn't struggle with the same stuff that us modern Christians struggle with. And that's just not true. And that is what the book of Philemon is about. Because if you you are a person of means in the first century... If you had money, if you had, I'm going to push it even further, if you had the white picket fence, two cars, two dogs, and a couple of kids, if that was you, which is probably a majority of us, if you owned your own home, guess what else you had? You had slaves. Oh, see where it's getting complicated? Because Paul is pushing the envelope here. Jesus pushed the envelope in the first century. Because what happens is, is that there is no such thing, when you are in Christ, there is no such thing as male and female, slave or master. In Christ, they are all the same. And in the first century, we see, just, not only does Jesus begin just to change you know, our, the, the perception of ourselves and the way that, that we relate to God spiritually, but He began to change the world, and slavery began to break down with the birth of Jesus. Jesus birthed into our existence, in our history, the destruction of slavery, and it happens really quick in the first century. And Paul, a pastor, a minister, an apostle, uh, a missionary, how do missionaries make it? They make it through donations. Paul had to make it by making tents at times because the donations dried up. He didn't complain about it. He just got to work. He used his brilliant mind to make it happen, to make the ends meet. Mended some tents, pulled it off, made it happen. But he is, like most people in... Not just in ministry, but most people that are in the humanities or in the arts or uh, in nonprofits of some sort, you, you, de- you depend upon the donations and the goodwill of people. Uh, most of the time, it's just normal people like us, and sometimes it's rich folk. And Philemon was of the rich folk, and guess what? He had slaves. And So do you see where it gets complicated? you see where I'm going with this? All right, so let's just read the letter. This is a letter that Paul writes to Philemon, and, and it, it's a one-pager. I think we just might read the whole thing today. And you're going to just, I know, you could just say to your friends, well, in our church, we really get into the Word. We get into the Word. Our pastor read an entire book on Sunday. Give me a break. Yeah. Uh, just, just to... Another thing about the early church, because they didn't have their New Testament bound, uh, whenever they said, because it it started with them getting into the word, but it was a different perspective than what we have. When they got into the word, they got into Jesus. Logos. Jesus is the word. So we have to be careful. I mean, I love my Bible. I have to have it. It is holy scripture. It is inspired. This is the only book on the planet that is inspired. And although it has words in it, this is not Jesus. That's just hurt your head, didn't it? This is not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. These are our holy scriptures. It's our compass. It's our guidebook. It's our love letter from God. We need to understand it. Live your life by it. Jesus is the one that died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. All right, here we go. Here is an uh, inspired email in the first century, a letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. So right there, Paul is identifying himself. I, Paul, I am a prisoner of Christ, uh, figuratively and quite possibly literally. He was either writing this letter in chains, in literal chains, in prison, In a Roman prison, which is really bad. I mean, just awful. You're starving. You're sitting in your own poop and pee. You're chained to a column. It's just bad. So he's either in Rome or uh, Ephesus. There's debate among the scholars of where he's actually locked up. It doesn't really matter. He says, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So Philemon, when he's saying fellow worker, he's not saying tent maker. He's saying pastor, shepherd, right? And to Apia, our sister, which is quite possibly uh, Philemon's wife. Scholars believe that this is Philemon's wife. And guess what wives did in the first century? I don't know, while Philemon's hanging out with his buddies and making deals and stuff, finally, or his wife, is actually running the household, meaning that she is in charge of the slaves. Trippy, huh? So he's writing this to both of them. Uh, Archippus is probably their son. Grace to you and peace from our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Grace is... uh, Uh, Charismat, Charismata, which is Greek, actually, and the peace is Hebrew, so he uses two words to describe uh, where he's coming from. I thank my God as I remember you in all my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. Um, do, you, do you guys know who the saints are? We are. This is, this is the complicated stuff. Whenever we begin to talk about the saints, whenever I say, hey, we're going to do, do an equipping class. We are going to equip the saints. That means the class is for you. You are the saints. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, no, I'm not. Right? God's called us into holiness. And what Jesus did, he says, you are all saints. Crazy stuff. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That's interesting. Kind of off topic, but it's just like an, an addition. That you're active How many people are feeling a little bit spiritually dull? Like you're feeling a little disconnected from God, maybe? Or your spiritual life is a little hazy? Um, You don't really, maybe you're just confused? This isn't the whole picture, but this could be for you. This could be a word for you today. It was the word for Philemon 2,000 years ago. The reason why you're a little bit dull right now is because you're not sharing your faith. You've been given so much, you're required to give it away. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. There's that word love again. It's one of the major themes in the book. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So here we see Philemon, a pastor or a worker in the church, a layperson. He is actually engaged in helping other people. He is refreshing people. Um, I kind of skipped over this, but... Uh, back in verse um, 1 or 2, he says, uh, to the church that meets in your home. This is the first century. Christians met in homes. And the Christian community was growing in large number. And the homes, that, that the ancient homes the, in, this, in this world that could hold a church, well, they were very large. Probably the size of this room. their their courtyard or their amphitheater. Go to the Getty Museum and you're going to see the villa, the Roman villa. That's probably what Philemon's house looked like. And so he was able to throw a big party each and every Sunday where he gathered the saints together and he was most likely the head of this church. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order to you to do what you ought to do. This is interesting. Uh, Paul is a master with language. He is not only a master with language, not only does he have a mind to talk to people, to engage in people, to, to um, speak the truth in love. He does so in such a mastery way because he's, he's going to deal with this topic of slavery. And he starts off by saying... Um, I, the Apostle Paul, I, I'm responsible for you, and guess what? I have the authority to tell you what to do. I have the authority to pull your card. I can boss you around, but I choose not to. Interesting, huh? could be bold to order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless. Underline that word useless. Formerly he was useless to you. Why is he useless? I'll tell you in a second. But now he has become useful both to me and to you. Here's the irony. Here's the master wordsmith at, at work here. Onesimus translates as useful, as valuable, as um, Profitable. That's the, that's the translation of this slave's name. His name means profitable, useful, valuable. And right now, he is not valuable to Philemon because he ran away. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor, you would, uh, any favor to you would be spontaneous and not forced. So he doesn't want to force his hand, although he can do so. This is delicate stuff. Perhaps the reason he was separated to you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. Here we go. This is fun stuff. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. In other words, a saint. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, so this is huge stuff. This is Paul saying, if you consider me a partner with you in the gospel, you need to pay attention. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If you have done anything wrong or if he owes you anything, you charge it to me. I, Paul, i am writing this letter in my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me yourself. We don't know exactly what Philemon owed Paul, but it was considerable of some sort. Maybe Paul led Philemon to the Lord. We don't know. I do not wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. That's kind of a little bit of pressure there. But for the most part, he is saying, you need to do this with your own free will. And one thing more. Perhaps prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you to an answer to your prayers. I hope I'm going to get out of this prison someday. Isn't that kind of cool? We kind of miss the nuance of stuff. When was the last time you were, I mean, well, last time you were, if you're in prison, don't raise your hand. But. When was the last time you were a prisoner of your own soul? When was the last time you were down in the dumps? When was the last time you felt like there was no way out? Did you have hope? Paul is down in the dumps. He feels like there, like literally there's no way out. He's in literal chains. Yet he has hope that he's going to get out. And, he has, and his further hope is he's actually going to go and hang out with Philemon. I'm going to go stay at your house. Make, get, get ready. Go ahead and... I have no idea when I'm getting out, but go ahead and prepare the bed anyway. Isn't that interesting? It's a mindset, folks. It's a mindset that we have to have. It's a positive mindset. And I'll skip the last part. Grace? Oh, it's just names and stuff. So, Mark, okay, read the whole thing. Uh, and, and one more thing. Uh, verse 23. Ephesus, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, one of the other gospel writers, uh, uh, Archie, well, I can't say that name, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you in your spirit, in your innermost person, in your being. That's the whole book. we got a whole book today. Pretty cool, right? All right, why is it such a big deal socially? It's because, I mean, we can easily sit in our, in our modern Mindset, and we all know that slavery is bad, and it's really easy for us to judge the first-century slave owner. It was, it was, it was a ingrained part of society. Over half of the population were slaves. Crazy, right? There were different levels of slaves. There were cheap slaves that cost, uh, they say, 50 denarii. I don't know what, how much a denarii is. I don't know, 100 bucks, whatever. So there were, there were cheap slaves, 50, 50 bucks. But the educated slaves were 500 denarii. So there's the, there's the margin between the types of slaves that you could own. Onesimus was an educated slave. We get some more clues from Colossians. He, he was... They viewed slaves as property, as chattel. Not cattle, but chattel. Meaning that they were, they, it was like money to them. It was currency. You traded in people. And for this brand new Christian, uh, Paul is saying, look, this is going to be very hard for you. You are a person of means... And deep down inside, you know what is right. You need to let the slave... Actually, he doesn't say go free, though, does he? You need to accept him as your brother. What else is actually implied? Not only did Odysseus run away from Philemon, he stole something from him, too. Did you catch that part? If he's done anything, if he's taken anything from you, credit it to my account. So that's being implied. So Paul knows something. He's been hanging out with this kid. He's been mentoring this kid, probably in, in prison. I don't know, we don't know the exact details. But he's saying, if he owes you anything, credit it to my account. Do you realize how difficult this, the circumstances, this social condition Not only is it a human rights issue, like this is the guy's very well-being. This is probably the most, this slave outside of his estate is his most valuable possession. And Paul is saying, you need to accept him as your brother. Not just free him, but you need to do ministry with this guy. All right, let me help, this isn't, this isn't going to translate well, but let me just put it into a perspective for you. Because the world, the ancient world, ran off of slavery. That's how, that was the economy. That's how the wheels turned. That's what gave them the ability to go to the theater all the time. Um, I don't know, it depends. Like if you're working at McDonald's, You might think that slavery is real today, right? We don't have institutionalized slavery. We do have a big uh, discrepancy between the wealthy and the poor. I don't necessarily want to address that today. But what I do want to say is, okay, just look at the situation and how difficult it is. How would you like it if I came, like right now, right here and right now, I told you that cars... They're bad for the environment. They're expensive. They're a luxury. We don't really need them. You guys can ride your bicycle to work. They're evil. They pollute, our, they pollute the environment. I mean, people make these, these, people make these, things, these claims, right? And maybe they're justifiable. Maybe they're true. I don't know. This is just an illustration. So how would you like it if I said today? Christian brothers and sisters, you will give up your cars for the Lord because it is the right thing to do. <laughs> that would just completely turn your world upside down, now wouldn't it? Because our, this is a, California is a car culture. Our very culture, our very economy rests on our vehicles. Could you imagine that? that is what, that's why this letter is so amazing because Paul is asking the impossible about Philemon. Philemon. You know what's really amazing about this? We don't really know the rest of the story. This is all that we get. But here's the thing. The letter gets published. There's only two things could have happened. One, Lehman did it and said, here is my letter. Here is my testimony. How many, well, if you own your own business or if you are a general manager, what happens when somebody steals from you or steals from the company? Do you allow them back? Do you say, it's okay? Not only am I going to give you your job back, I'm going to give you stock in the company. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. Um, Communion is an interesting thing. Uh... It starts off in the first century. You know, Jesus models it at the Last Supper. Uh, Paul says that, you know, we ought to observe Holy Communion. It's, um, you take the bread and you drink the wine and you do it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And these first century churches, they observed communion on a regular basis. It's very different than what we do. They called them love feasts. There was wine, probably lots of wine. Actually, we know that there was lots of wine because it became an issue, actually. So in their communion services, there was always that one guy. There was always that one guy that was drinking too much communion juice. But the idea of communion is completely different than what we actually practice today. We've smashed it into a wafer, we put a cross on the wafer, Uh, we say some magic words. Now, I gotta be careful here because I do, although I am anti-religion, and I'm for um, trying to get a real connection with God, real relationship with God, so this is the heart of my ministry, there is value to to traditions. And so I'll just say, yeah, because there's something special about traditions. At the same time, I'm a little bit of a rebel. I just want to break religious spirits off of people. Even in my own denomination, which we don't have a denomination anymore, but even in my own heritage, my own spiritual upbringing, like, you know, us crazy Pentecostal charismatic types, we've been able to develop religions of our own. Systems of our own. I grew up with. Um, where did I go? Here we go. All right. So, so these were our little element dispensers, and everybody knows this one, right? Oh, yeah. The little plastic cup. And so when I was a kid, this is the, how I learned to do communion, and it was passed in the aisles, and it was beautiful, and it was, and it was a tradition. But like they didn't have the little tiny thimbles in the first century. They had dinner, and it was holy. They had relationship with God and one another, and it was sacred. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be holy and sacred with the plastic thimble, but what happened is religion seeped into our Holy Communion, I believe. We always go after the Catholics, but let's, let's not go after the Catholics. Let's go after the Protestants. Let's go after the... Charismatics with their little plastic cups. Because what happened is that we've taken this little plastic cup and it's just like a magnifying glass that we use to look at our sin Whoa. and to focus on our, on our problems. Do you know what happened when, look, Philemon and Onesimus, they, they got together. They reconciled. Like Paul wrote this masterful letter that reconciled a slave owner and a slave and all of a sudden they become brothers. And he came back. Onesimus came back to Colossus, Colossi. And you know what they did? It was probably the first thing that they did. They had communion together. They sat down at a table and they broke bread and they drank wine. And Onesimus this time was not a servant, but he had a seat at the table. (laughs) And this is what God calls us into. And so I guess what I want to just really break off is this, you know, this... If you want to continue to celebrate the tradition, I love it. Because we're going to to do the thimble thing at uh, Christmas Eve communion service. And it will be very traditional feeling as far as our tra- traditions go. I'm not going to put a vestment on. I'm not going to stick the wafer in your, in your mouth because that's not what we did. But what we do do is we pass it and we pray for it. And it, it's very traditional feeling to us. But here's, I think this is what we've done with communion. Um, we've taken, again, we've taken this symbol. It's become so introspective. Um, If you're new, before I uh, became a pastor, I was an antique dealer. One of the tools of the trade is a loop. It looks just like this, but it's black, and it has the magnifying glass here on the end. And whenever you look at a a piece of silver, or a mark on porcelain, or if you're trying to read a an autograph on a piece of painting, you'd get the loop and you'd go like this and you look at it figure out if it's real or not. Well, uh, one, of the, one of the struggles in the antique industry when I was in it is that uh, China, 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 they were producing a massive amount of forgeries and fakes. And um, to the layperson, it, they would get duped. And so you needed the tool to look at it and to look at the to make sure that the mark was good. And I one of the 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 hindrances to to growing in the gospel of grace, to, to to sitting at the table as a free person, free from our sins, free from our past. How many people are still beating yourself up for what you did in college? or that really awful relationship that made you do horrible things? How many people are still bound to those things? This is what you're doing. You're taking taking this, this magnifying glass, and you're just looking at a specific mark on your life, and you're magnifying that mark, and you're focusing only on that. Paul says when you take communion, you ought to examine yourselves. The cross is, a, is a, could easily be our thimble. And when we repent, see, godly repentance is momentary. Yes. Do you see, mo- godly repentance is momentary. Godly repentance changes the way that we think. Worldly repentance is a system of beating yourself up over and over, yes. and, over and over and over again. So if you're living a repentant lifestyle and you feel terrible about yourself, you're not in godly repentance. You're in worldly repentance that tells you that you're worthless. Two major themes in the book of Philemon. One is identity. Because who gets their identity changed? Philemon. The slave is no longer a slave. He is a brother. He is not just a brother, he is a beloved brother. He is a saint. His identity gets completely changed. And I don't know if you caught it, but the other theme, the other message of Philemon is the gospel of grace. So not only is Paul writing this letter, not only is he bringing two people together, he's actually acting like Jesus. He is saying, this man is useful. Because he stole from you, because he ran off from you, you consider him useless. But I'm telling you, right here and right now, he is useful for me, and he will be useful for you in the future. He has value. And you have value. And so here, here's, the, here's the thing. You've got to break the religious uh, mindset, especially during communion. Because in, in communion... Like, we, okay, Paul says to examine yourselves. Uh, actually, the translation comes across, says, don't approach the offering table with anxieties. Wow. Repent, and get it over with, and don't be anxious about how screwed up you are. Quit, quit using the thimble, quit using the cup to magnify your sin, because God doesn't see it anymore. Yeah. And I think that us charismatics, we've turned the communion experience into a big giant belly button observing fest. I was so tempted. This is how I was so tempted to stick this thing in my belly button, and I was going to show you, I was going to show you my belly button, just to make a point. Come on. And the Lord spoke to me. He says, Josh, that's not a very good idea. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Like I, got, I mean, I could have really made a point with shock value. You all would have seen my belly button hairs magnified. There's probably been some lint in there. Just blood. Does everybody see it? But God says, "You know what, Josh, even though that you want to maybe shock everybody, make a really cool point, uh, they're going to be eating at my table today. So let's just not gross them out. Don't focus on how bad of a sinner you are when you take the holy elements. You're at his table, and you're with Philemon, and you're with Onesimus, and you're with Paul, and you're with Jesus, and it is a love feast, and you are to enjoy it. Not feel sorry about yourself. The only reason why you feel like you're under a microscope is because you put yourself under the microscope. God did not put you under a microscope. God doesn't use the loop to inspect your sin. He knows your mark. He knows your mark. Because he marked you. Imago Dei. Image of God. He's the one that marked you. With his Holy Spirit. Sealed with his Holy Spirit. You have, everybody has their own individual seal, their own individual mark. If you collect porcelain, maybe you're the Meissen mark, which is two cross swords. Or maybe if you're a precious metal, you're 925, you're sterling silver, whatever, I don't know. But here's the thing. God doesn't need to use a microscope to check you out. He just wants to touch you. See, there's a couple kinds of different antique dealers. There's the ones that have to have the tools, and then there's the other ones that just know by intuition that the the object is good. Wow. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I don't want to brag, but I'm kind of like that. I've made my mistakes. Look, i bought horrible things at times. But most of the time, i bought good things because I can sense it. I know that it's good by looking. I know that it's good by smelling. I know that it's good by touching. So this is one of my favorite things. Fourteenth, fifteenth century candlestick that I bought in Orleans, France. I'm not quite sure how much it's actually worth, but to me it's very valuable. Back in the day it was around $4,000. I don't know what it's worth now. I've been out of the business for a little bit. Um, This, Orleans, France, so this um, could have lit the cathedral, because I brought it outside of the cathedral of Orleans, could have lit uh, the cathedral for Joan of Arc. Quite possibly. And I smuggled it out of France. For, <laughs> for my pleasure. And uh, this one doesn't have a mark on it. So sometimes there are m- uh, maker's marks on these things. But this one doesn't. This one has what we call patina. Patina. It's got stuff on it. It's got hundreds of years of smoke and candle wax. Uh, I'm now adding more patina to it by the oils that are coming off of my fingers. and It's adding more value. And I know what it is. Like if I saw this across the room, I would know what it was, even if it was standing next to a replica that was made in China. I can just know. And there's other really great piece, uh, little things that uh, that, that forgers don't do. It's full of little holes. Forgers try to put holes, but the way that these holes are, they come out. There's no pattern to them. They're completely random. Uh, and these holes came out years later before it was cut. It's cut from a piece of wood that had termites in it. Most wood, it, most wood has some bugs in it, and. Um, So when it was shaped you couldn't tell that it was tainted and someday it will probably completely fall apart but um, inherently there's something wrong with it yet god made something beautiful out of it you see where i'm going with this inherently uh we have sin inside of us but god sees us and he shapes us and he carves us and he makes us beautiful things this piece uh, as the as the worker was beginning to carve it, carves little rosettes and you know, flowers and fleur de lis on it, but got lazy and didn't finish the back. So this, seriously, so this piece would sit in the corner of the church. This piece is also very cool because it's got this burn mark. You know, who knows what happened that with that? Maybe the church caught on fire. It survived for me to find later. See, when God sees us, again, he doesn't want to inspect us. He just wants to get his hands on us. You see? And it's a party. If I get the band, and ushers just come to the front. It's a party. It's a love feast. It's not for you to look at your belly button and cry about yourself. It really isn't. Come on. Uh, There's a reason why wine is used. There's a reason why wine is used. he He breaks the bread. He says, this is my body, what broken for you. This is my provision. It's tied to manna, bread from heaven. Remember that? Bread from heaven, actual provision. Here's the thing. God wants us to prosper. He wants to give us provision. Yeah, it sounds like prosperity gospel, but unfortunately, it's true. Well, Pastor Josh, what about all the poor kids that don't have anything in Africa? Well, dad's in Africa right now, giving those kids hope. Hmm? He's not whining. Trust me, I've got my issues. You've got your issues. My dad's got his issues. He's not whining about them. He's serving the poor, right? You lose your edge, start sharing. You lose your spiritual connection, start giving stuff away. Give your time away, give your money away. Go on a trip, hug some orphans, give them hope. So he says, "This is my bed, my, my body, broken for you. This is the bread of life. This is the provision that you need." And then he says, "This is my blood by the stripes." on his back. We have been healed by the shedding of blood. We have the forgiveness of sin. You know, I think maybe we all understand that in this room. But here's the thing. He uses wine. Not grape juice. Wine. Because the blood of Jesus is intoxicating. That maybe just sounds a little bizarre. When you are in the presence of God, when you are taking part of communion, when you're at His table, should be an intoxicating experience. The closest that you've ever been with Jesus should be at His table. should be in relationship. Does that see what I'm saying? Relationship. Enjoying yes. the food that's on the table. The spiritual food that's on the table. Enjoying that. So let's stand. This is how we're going to do it. We're just going to continue just to enter into prayer. We're going to see what God does. In the back, so this way no one can see you. We're not going to pass the elements today. But in the back, um, there's bread. There's, there's cups for the juice. It's not wine because we, we uh, minister to alcoholics in this building. So we don't do wine anymore. We made that mistake once. Um, and you just take the bread. You dip it in the in. And the cup, and you just receive it, and you're just going to do it on your own time during this last song of worship. How, whenever God speaks to you, you it's like Paul. I can, I'm not going to force you to take the elements. Do so on your own free will. Do so when God moves on you. In, and enjoy His presence. Have fun with this communion with God. Have fun with Jesus today. That's what it's for. He has reconciled us back to the Father. We were runaway slaves. We stole stuff. And Jesus is the physical representation. He is the persona of God. He came because he wants to hang out with us. So go hang out with him. Yes.